<clears throat> this is a Romy cast. Never get tired of being Beatles. When I play the drums, then I play a guitar, and I too play a guitar. What? Is he dead? Sit you down, Father. Rescue. Take 12. Take 12. Take 12. Take 12. Take 12. Take 12. That John finally got just after that, and we were both of a do what you want to do, do what you want to do. If you think it was all keep it, you don't scrap it. Yeah, it's not bad that one. Keep that one. Mark it fab. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Walrus Was Paul, a series of podcasts hosted by me, Paul Romanuk. Join me, and let's take a stroll along the cast iron shore and peel off the layers of the glass onion with another great musical guest as we discuss their favorite Beatles or Beatles solo album. Uh, I must mention that this is the award-winning the Walrus Was Paul podcast. Uh, this podcast was voted winner outstanding music series at the 2022 Canadian Podcast Awards. My guest today is Montreal singer and songwriter Max Como. Uh, this is part two of our discussion about the 1973 Paul McCartney and Wings album called Red Rose Speedway. And today we'll be talking about side two of the album. If you haven't listened to part one, side one yet, then go back and listen to that and then come back and listen to part two, side two. That's what I would recommend as your order of play. Uh, Max is an interesting guy. He's put out three full-length LPs as well as some EPs and singles. And I was mentioning this last time, but uh, I will say this about his work. It is very diverse. You'll find a bit of everything. Uh, he's got some singer-songwriter introspection going. It's it's there in the work. Uh, something with a dance groove to it. If you're looking for that, I would recommend checking out his 2020 EP called Try. Uh, and if you're looking for something... Really cool. Uh, Jazz-flavored cover versions of some Paul McCartney deep cuts. Well, you'll find those on his latest album. That album is called Play McCartney. You can find all of that work at his Bandcamp page. Go to bandcamp.com and do a search for Max Como, and it's all there. There's some good stuff there, information on the music, some background on it, the lyrics, and you can also purchase his work at that site, bandcamp.com, and looks for, uh, look for Max's page there. Uh, you can also find him on Instagram and Facebook as well. So let's dive into side two. Max, welcome back. A pleasure to uh, once again talk to one of the few guests I have had who might well know more about Paul McCartney than I do. Well, I don't know about more, but yeah, I you know when it when it when it comes to Paul, I just can't get enough reading, you know, and it's like some of my friends make fun of me cuz oh, you're reading another McCartney biography. That's surprising, but I just love it. I love deep diving into this man's mind and I just find him infinitely fascinating. Uh, so let's get into side number two. Uh, and it starts off with, I, I mean, I 
like the, the the opening cut in the album, Big Barn Bed, uh, great, great side opener. I love this side opener. One of my favorite songs. It's just a, a quick little ditty, one minute, 53 seconds, Single Pigeon, love it. Single Pigeon chance to record a cover of it for the play mccartney album uh which we actually released as our first single which is a little silly because i mean most people have no idea what single pigeon is it's not as if you know we're, we're not covering maybe i'm amazed here but i've always had such love and affection for single pigeon and you know there's this old cliche of saying oh this could have fit in on the white album but when it comes to Single Pigeon, it really, truly could have fit on the White Album. And I think were it, if it were on the White Album, I think it'd be one of the classics that we talk about. I mean, it's got, even though, of course, it's um, it can be on the surface a silly story about a, a pigeon and a seagull, there's real humanity to it. And there's real empathy. And again, a need for connection a need for love and and friendship and hey you got thrown out by by your girlfriend hey me too we're both in the same situation we're both on the same boat and there's something magical about it and i just to, to a little anecdote here my musical upbringing really started with Sharon Lawson Brown um i'm a canadian kid and those uh, late 70s albums uh, that, that they recorded with this producer, Bill Usher, those to me are still, at 43 years old, magical albums. And when I hear Single Pigeon, I hear a song that really they could have and should have recorded. It's got this childlike simplicity, but this warmth to it that to me feels timeless and a kid can love the song and an adult can like the song and there's just something timeless and magical about it and i really truly love single pigeon so i'm thrilled that you love it as well because i mean i'm sure some people sort of hear it as a throwaway or just a ditty but there's a little bit more to it than that. There's there's something profound about it. Well, here is what McCartney says about it in his book, The Lyrics, which is yes. sort of the most recent work that he's done where he talks about his body of work. Here's his quote. <laughs> uh, I had seen a single pigeon just pecking around, a blue-gray pigeon on its own near some railings, and I thought the combination of those words was quite winning, single pigeon. I began yep. to think about why the pigeon might be single. And the minute you decide to make up a story about a pigeon, it's not just a pigeon. 
it's a character in a play. It's a guy who's had an argument with his girl the night before, and he's got chucked out of the house. So here he is. He's single now, all because of the Sunday morning fight about Saturday night. Now, the idea that the protagonist of the song is a lot like you suggests that he, too, has been chucked out. He's relating to the pigeon and seagull because he, too, has been turfed out into the cold morning rain. So I've changed it from being just an orthonological observation to a representation of me. That pigeon is me, or that seagull is me, or a version of me. That's McCartney. Mm -hmm. So to, to your point, there's more to it than just a song about a bird. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's a great melody and it's such a fun song to sing. Sunday morning, fight about Saturday night. It's a it's just really well written. And you can see the genius of the man's songcraft in one minute fifty, what, three seconds? It's a short song, but it's all there. That McCartney magic is all there. Do you need a pal for a minute or two? You do? Me too. Uh, It's just so simple, but so there's so much humanity in it. I love it. I love it. It's really heartwarming in the best possible way. And and it's a funny song, uh, funny as in uh, curious, uh, because everybody kind of mixed up here. Denny Sywell, normally the drummer, plays the bass. And Denny Lane, normally a guitar player, plays the drums. And then the brass section that you hear at the end of the song, uh, it's it's a little sloppy, a little rough. and it and it is for good reason. McCartney plays a trombone, hardly his A instrument. Denny Lane was on a saxophone, and Denny Sywell was playing an old cornet, uh, which is a type of trumpet that he had picked up at a flea market on the Portobello Road. And that's the little brass section that you hear at the end of the song. Now, you referred to it, my friend, and, and I have here in big bold face in my notes uh, your most recent work, and dear listener, if you love McCartney, you have to check this out. It's available on Bandcamp. Uh, it is uh, an album that Max has done with pianist Malik Rashan. Uh, tell me about the album. It's it's jazz-ish interpretations of McCartney songs, but you can put a lot more flesh on the bones than I can. Tell us about it. Well, I just felt an urge to do something to celebrate the man's 80th birthday back in, I guess, 2022 was when he turned uh, 80. And I wanted to celebrate a body of work, which I just think the world of, of course. And uh, I'm a huge Beatles fan, but everything he did after the Beatles to me is every bit as precious and amazing. And so... The way it worked out is I knew I wanted to make a covers album. I had never recorded covers before. Um, And so I had to, you know, research how to get the rights to the songs and, and have the clearance and whatnot. But once all of that was out of the way, the idea was let's pick songs that aren't obvious. Now we did cover, maybe I'm amazed. We did cover um, my Valentine, which is a 2012 song, which sort of has joined the pantheon of like his classics, if you will. But we made Mainly stuck to songs that meant a lot to me personally and that I wanted people to sort of hear under a different light. We we opened the album with 
the song we were singing, which is a 1997 uh, opening track from Flaming Pie, just because I think it's a great song. And Malik Rashan, a uh, great pianist, gave it sort of a Dave Brubeck take five kind of swing. And so what a gift that this man not only recorded these great albums that we're talking about in 1973, Red Rose Speedway and Band on the Run, but in, in 2020, the man releases McCartney 3, and it's just full of great ideas. It's not a perfect album, but there are some magical moments on it, and it's his creativity, and it never... It's a light that never goes out. It's just he keeps giving, and he clearly loves it. And so I wanted to celebrate that. Nice Morrissey reference, by the way. I know you, you snuck that <laughs> yes. in. Yes, <laughs> yes, I did, I did. Uh, Play McCartney is the name of the album, uh, and you can get it at Bandcamp, and I assume it's available on all streaming platforms. So let's just listen to a couple of tracks to whet your appetite. Uh, we'll start off with Max and Malik's version of the track we were just talking about, Single Pigeon. Single pigeon through the railings, did she throw you out? A Sunday morning fight about Saturday night. From 1997's Flaming Pie album, the song we were singing. Oh yeah, but we always came back to the song we were singing. At any particular time Yes, we always came back To the song we were singing At any particular time And uh, a real gem here uh, Nicely covered from 1970's McCartney album Maybe I'm Amazed Baby, I'm amazed at the way you love me all the time And maybe I'm afraid of the way I love you Maybe I'm amazed at the way you pulled me out of time So there you go, a little selection for you. You can stream that album or purchase it for the nominal sum of 12 bucks or so on Bandcamp. It's been nice to see the sales come in on Bandcamp because, you know, we didn't do a heck of a lot of promotion for the album. But, you know, every day there's people buying it. And I figure, well, you know, they're, they're somehow they're hearing it. And so it's reaching some people. And it's, it's great. I'm, I'm super proud of that album. And I think Malik is just an amazing pianist. So it was a great pleasure to not only work on it, but but put it out was just a, a wonderful thing. So, dear listener, do check out Max's work, but if, if you're only just going to go and just listen to one thing, if you love McCartney and you love the Beatles, the album is called Play McCartney, uh, and it's just it's pretty stripped down. It's Max's singing, and it's Malik's uh, beautiful piano playing, uh, McCartney covers, and it is a great great listen. Uh, again, uh, I had it on. Uh, context is everything. I had it on while I was making dinner in the kitchen. Beautiful. 
just there you go it's it's great dinner making music it it is really good (laughs) coming to a dinner near you uh next track on side two uh from what i could see it was the second track that they worked at uh at olympic sound studios uh the day after they did big barn bed when the night of When the Night is that gloriously uh, free-spirited, mad vocal. I mean, he really goes for it. Those, you know, I mean, he really goes for it. And I've had a few friends. I've, I've played the album for, for friends over the years, and that's one song that sometimes gets some people laughing because it's like, uh, a vocalist normally wouldn't go that crazy. You know, they, they, there's a certain reserve about most vocalists, you know, but McCartney just lets it fly and he just goes with it. And, you know, who knows if he was, I mean, he was smoking a lot of pot back then. Glenn Johns attests to, to that. And I mean, McCartney makes no, there's no secret about it. So I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but there's just a freedom and, uh, and a confidence the audacity of that vocal just it blows my mind. Is it a great song? I think it's a, it's a fun song, and I think it's got a great feel to it. But I do think it's a fantastic, great vocal. Uh, the Latin-sounding guitars also really lended a, a nice bite, and they are played by Denny Lane and Henry McCulloch. Uh, and then, of course, yeah, the the other highlight is the like even on a a pretty average song. McCartney with those great vocal chops. Like it just absolutely, yeah, you know, uh, and he and, liked it. They, and they they played the song during their seventy three tour, so they like performing it as well. It's got a magic to it, and and that's the thing with uh, most of this album is you can't deny the magic to it. I mean, I suppose if you're really not a McCartney lover uh, to begin with, maybe. Maybe you won't hear the magic, but as a McCartney enthusiast and a McCartney fan that I am, and I adore the man and his works, I I just, I hear magic. All right, so from that cut, we go to one that even if you love McCartney, you maybe have to work a little bit to look for the magic in this. Yes, Uh, yeah, perhaps. uh, An instrumental track, and it plods along for uh, about almost four and a half minutes. It's called Loop, First Indian on the Moon, Uh, Hand on Heart, Hand in the Air. Uh, As a kid, when I had this album, this was a skip over. You know, listening to the album yesterday, once again, I was completely knocked out by how great Paul's bass playing on here is. And also, you have to think, uh, you know, Pink Floyd is recording Dark Side of the Moon next door 
basically. And it's definitely Floydian. I'm not saying it's, I mean, it's certainly not great gig in the sky, not by any stretch of the imagination, but it's got that Pink Floyd feel to it. The, the one thing that kills me uh, about its inclusion on the album, though, is that you've heard probably most of the outtakes from this album. There are better songs that were available to him. Denny Lane's I Would Only Smile, Linda's um, Seaside Woman, Country Dreamer, which you mentioned uh, was part of one of the earlier sequencings of the album. Um, there are better songs than this. And you're right. No matter how much of a McCartney enthusiast or fan you may be, this is filler. But there's no need for filler because there are some better songs available to you. Night Out. Night Out is a fun jam and it's a rocker. It would have been more stimulating on the album than Lou is, you know? And then there's the title, which, you know, we don't need to get into, but First Indian on the Moon, I don't know. There's something about that title that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> and it's just, it's kind of a forgettable track. And it's a shame because... Yeah, it fits the overall feel of the album. And as I say, the bass playing is phenomenal, but it goes on probably two minutes too long <laughs> and it doesn't have that much to, to say. I mean, there's no lyrics and, you know, it's a B-side at best. It's a B-side. Mm -hmm. And yet it's on an album where he had all these other great songs too that he could have included. Uh, in an interview on his website in 2018, McCartney said, because it's an album track, we had a bit more room to maneuver. And I think it's the rebellious aspect of wildlife coming back in. So you've got My Love, and that's a proper song. You've got some other proper songs in the album. But then we've got something like loop where it was sort of a bit of fun for us it's pretty experimental but we didn't ever play it live it was just something fun that only existed in the studio now my theory is that they did this at olympic sound studios this is one of the last songs they did there march 15th 1973 and this is just complete supposition but i wonder if they were all stoned smoking lots of weed in having a long extended jam that basically to you know to glenn johns just sounded like nonsense and if that's the point where he said guys have fun i'm out of here it's it's absolutely possible because of course when you have a tunesmith and and a man that has such a gift for melody as mccartney this could absolutely seem like a waste of time or a waste of space on a vinyl album. And I don't mind it. When, when I'm listening to the album on vinyl, I don't get up to, to skip it. Uh, but it's not a track I'm going to go to on its own when I'm streaming on Spotify or on Tidal. I'm not going to go to this track. Um, but it's a great bass showcase. His bass playing here is gorgeous and it's technically really interesting as well but does it belong on the album 
Not particularly. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's filler. Now, now the man. I'll give him this. I mean, if, and he doesn't need me to give him anything. But uh, whether you want to talk, <laughs> whether you want to talk about the Liverpool sound collage or his work yes. with uh, youth under the guise of the fireman. I mean, McCartney mm-hmm. is always happy to throw a curve your way. Now, for me. Yep. Listening to your music, scanning through your catalog, there was a track called Try from December of 2020. Uh, and that was, again, to my ears, a definite swerve from a lot of your other stuff. It has a, uh, a real dance beat to it. Go, go to beloved. You know, it came from a little riff that I played on the acoustic guitar. It was a very quiet sort of acoustic based number originally. But I was working with um, a guy by the name of Julian Rice, who's in a bunch of musical projects in Montreal. And he's just, he's one of these guys who, like McCartney, is a multi-instrumentalist. Any instrument he picks up, he can find his way on and he he can play. Um, And uh, he just had a lot of great, funky, out there ideas for Try. And I was listening to a uh, single by an artist by the name of Royzen Murphy at that time, a single called Incapable. And that had a real dance beat to it, which I was really addicted to and which I listened to a lot uh, during lockdown. And um, I kind of thought to myself, hey, you know, let's have some fun. Let's let's make this a little dancey and let's go in a different direction because the lyrics are they're a bit sad they're a bit introspective but i wanted to musically take it somewhere out of that zone and i i believe my most streamed song on on spotify is a song called just one of the boys which borrows from niles rogers a bit in its and its in its style and so i like that kind of approach and i like uh, touching on it it's not it's not in me as naturally as just picking up a guitar and doing something more folky if you will but i love exploring and when i'm working with musicians that are you know musically just brilliant um i just want them to sort of take my simple acoustic thing and turn it into whatever they think uh, fits it, and of course, if I hear it back and I and I'm not feeling it, then there's no way I'm putting that out. But with Julian, it was just sort of like, yeah, I'm loving this groove, and so we just went with it, and and it was it was great fun. I'm I'm really proud of that track. Yeah, groove is the word I would use. It's it's called try, uh, and again, you can uh, find it on streaming services. Came out in December of 2020 uh, by Max. So uh, again, dear listener, seek that out. You like it? It's a it's a little different from the other stuff he's done. Very different from his most recent album of the the sort of jazz flavor McCartney Definitely. covers. But it's cool. It's uh, it's it's a nice experiment. Uh, so we get to the medley uh, to close out the album, and and 
I always wonder whether or not he was looking to uh, to, to recreate some of the magic of side two of Abbey Road uh, with this medley. It's, it runs 11 minutes and 19 seconds. Four snippets, Hold Me Tight, Lazy Dynamite, Hands of Love, and Power Cut, each, each of which we can go through. But just overall, uh, what are your thoughts about the melody? Does it work for you? I find the opening portion of the song, the, those opening piano chords, I think are some of the most affecting notes or is, is some of the most beautiful music on the album. But then the lyrics come in and it's hold me tight, hold me tight, hug me right, hug me right is really hard to forgive. I mean, it's some really, really lazy songwriting, lyrically speaking. They're all placeholder lyrics, as he would call them. You know, like, I'll go back and I'll fix those. I'll, I'll write something better. Only he clearly didn't. And as much as I adore it musically, the lyrics really let it down. And it doesn't bother me all that much. When I'm in the mood for this medley and when I reach the end of this album, I look forward to this medley. But am I going to play this for, again, someone that's a bit skeptical about McCartney and, oh, but he needed Lennon's edge and, and you know, George Harrison's editorial uh, suggestions and whatnot? Yeah, I, I, I kind of hear that on, on this particular medley. I've waited all my life for you Hold me tight Take care of me and I'll be right Hold me tight Hold me tight Hold me tight Hold me right Hold me tight So uh, just to go back, hold me tight. I'm with you. I love the piano chords and even the the first bit of the vocal. You know, I've waited all my yes. life for you. It's, it's not, really powerful. But then, it, yeah, it kind of it kind of peters out quickly. Um, it was recorded at Abbey Road, uh, seven takes, just worked on it for one day, two of which were false starts. Take seven was the one that they ended up using. Uh, Denny Lane, Henry McCulloch overdubbed some, uh, the dual guitar solo, and then they added vocals later. And then into La- Lazy Dynamite was initially called Baby Dynamite. Hey! Oh, Lazy Dynamite. Recorded in three takes, uh, so right. they, they just kind of, yeah, you get the feeling that it was all right. Uh, let's bang these off. Yeah, then it, it it reaches hands of love, and hands of love is is really it's gorgeous. It sounds like a, a high point on wildlife because it's really a Paul and Linda duet, um, and 
it actually sort of um, lifts up the medley, which has been sort of dragging a little bit with the lazy dynamite part. When Hands of Love kicks in, it's fun. Um, does it 100% work as a medley? It's nowhere near as strong as the Abbey Road medley. I mean, the genius between the linking of the songs isn't quite as developed or as sophisticated as it is on, on Abbey Road. But when it ends with Power Cut, again with that doom, 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 which he'll revisit on Let Him In uh, a few years later. That to me is is magical. something really whimsical and magical about it which if you're a McCartney hater you're you're going to just think it's absolute drivel but if you're a McCartney lover it's a comfort blanket and it's a really really awesome one as far as I'm concerned I love the power cut section uh, Hands of Love uh, they uh, they comp together a bunch of uh, they must have taken a bunch of runs at it because when the session ended what I was able to find is Alan Parsons uh, who was the studio engineer at the time uh, he took six different snippets of Hands of Love and stitched it together for the finished version that we hear some interesting recollections from John Leckie uh, who was the engineer at Abbey Road when they were recording the background vocals for all of these tracks in the medley. Uh, he says, I remember doing all the vocals. They were around one microphone, and you'd have Paul, Linda, and Denny Lane singing. And there's something about singing around one microphone rather than singing around three. You do them around one microphone, and then they have to balance themselves, whereas if you've got three mics, you're asking for trouble. Usually if someone's not loud enough, it's because they're they're not singing loud enough. Uh, right. And then he goes on to say, the best thing about Linda was the texture of her voice. When you hear her voice in the backing vocals of the group, it's really distinctive and you know that it's wings. I remember it being really torture for the band doing Hold Me Tight and Lazy Dynamite because it's very empty, lots of space with just the voice in both Hold Me Tight and Lazy Dynamite, all vocal, almost a cappella. But again, he comes back to talking about 
and, and I think it's something we haven't touched on yet. I mean, as much as, and again, God rest your soul, uh, as much as you can be critical of Linda's abilities as a professional musician and as a singer, there is no doubt that her vocals give such a distinct sound to Wings. You know it's a Wings song when you hear her. Absolutely, absolutely. And you wouldn't want something like Silly Love Songs without her vocals. Her vocal contributions to Wings are incredible. And, you know, she added magic to McCartney's recordings up till, you know, her very last days. You hear her backing vocals on something like Great Day from Flaming Pie, which is ultimately the last album that McCartney recorded with Linda um, around. Um, she just adds sort of this warmth and this homey feel. So it's not it's not a great voice. She's not a great vocalist, but her texture and, and the sound and the way it accompanies the sound of Paul's voice is just magical. And, and I really, I love her. I absolutely love her as a person and everything I've read about her, but also her sound on those albums. And I, I've mentioned it at least twice, but again, I would have loved if Seaside Woman had been included. The, get, get Loop out of there and put on <laughs> Seaside Woman. And it would have told the record-buying public, hey, she's got some cool ideas too. And she's a full-pledged member of this band. She's not just my old lady, quote unquote, you know? She's Linda and she's a full-pledged member of this band, which... At this point, she pretty much was. I mean, there's no denying that. Better vocalist than Yoko. Most definitely. <laughs> Most definitely. And, you know, I, I like some of the stuff that Yoko did, and I like her contributions on Double Fantasy. But there's something challenging and confrontational about Yoko, whereas Linda, she's really just there to compliment and yeah. really just there to be part of that McCartney overall sound. And she's definitely part of Wings, every bit as much as Denny Lane's voice yeah. is part of that Wings sound. Yep, a real sound. I love her voice uh, with Wings. Uh, uh, McCartney said in 2018 on his website in an interview, he said, uh, well, I kind of like the idea of medleys as it's structured. It's sort of operatic, you know? Uh, and it's good fun putting things like this together, finding little links and ways to go from this to that. We had done it on Abbey Road at the end. And what we'd done there was John and I both had bits of songs that we hadn't finished. So we put them into a medley and it worked. So this was me doing that again. So he was looking for a little of that Abbey Road magic. And uh, just to answer my own question, the, the whole medley was mixed together by Alan Parsons. So he did, oh, there you go. He did a lovely job of, uh, of putting that together. Uh, so that is... The, the eye in the sky. The, well, you, when, yeah, quite a career on his own. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. Uh, and, and dear listener, if you don't go back far, if you're not an old guy like me or a Beatles trivia nerd, uh, you know, Alan Parsons, that's, that's where he started. He started as... Uh, an assistant engineer in the tape room at Abbey Road Studios, and uh, and then uh, worked with uh, worked on famously on Dark Side of the Moon with Pink Floyd. Worked with McCartney and a whole bunch of others. So that brings us to the end of the album. So we get to the album art. Um, 
so first of all, I can tell you the title of the record is a nod to McCartney's home county in England. The the red rose is the flower of Lancashire, uh, where Liverpool is located, and they have a red rose as their symbol. And uh, I, I talked before about the sort of a, one of the things that grabbed me in as a as a 12 13 year old boy was and the beatles were great at this uh, you know both solo and as a group but man they gave you something when you bought a record like you when you bought magical mystery tour there was that book when you got the white album yep. there was the poster in the 8x10s when you bought let it be there was a book uh, red rose speedway 12 page lp size booklet inside with all kinds of pictures of the band and lyrics and the whole bit. Um, and the cover photo was taken by Linda. And the, the sort of story there is it was taken uh, at, uh, where was it now? Was it, the, I think it was at the, yes, it was at the Sunday Times building in central London. And they flew in a, a motorcycle, uh, yeah, especially I, for the photo shoot. <laughs> I, I read that and it just, it absolutely kills me because what is a motorcycle doing? I mean, you know, it has to do with the Speedway and whatnot, but it is such a random album cover. And I think that as uh, a 20-year-old, which I guess I was when I when I first bought the CD, I think I kind of mocked the album cover, especially on a little CD cover. It doesn't have the same weight that it does on vinyl. And I just remember thinking to myself, man, you know, like, what are you doing with a flower in your mouth, Paul? What is this album <laughs> cover, really? When you compare it to the album cover to Band on the Run, you know, a few months later, which is so epic and dramatic and theatrical, this is a this is a this is a funny album cover but the packaging as you mentioned absolutely incredible great band photos great photos of them live it's an exciting package absolutely uh and some of the artwork uh there's a there's a john lennon connection eduardo pelosi uh did some of the uh, the inside the gatefold and part of the booklet uh the artwork there pelosi was a favorite instructor of john's at the Liverpool College of Art, I think it was, where, where John and Paul both attended. So there was a connection there. Uh, Alan Jones was a well-known pop artist at the time. He did a lot of the drawings. This was racy stuff for a, a 12, 13-year-old Paul Romanuk because mm-hmm. there were uh, there were <laughs> women's, uh, women's uh, breasts uh, and uh, very, uh, what do I say, uh, erotic drawings of, of, uh, of women. I think... I think there was actually, I'd have to go back and look at it again. I think we might have even seen a real pair of boobs somewhere in um, there. there. There is a black and white real pair of boobs. Which, actually, there are two. Oh, yes. And there he's, uh, for dear listener, uh, Max is holding it up there. Yes. Well, the, the one with the, 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 where you see the women's bums as well, that was. Uh, there hey, you go. Hey, it, that's, it was racy stuff for me back then. So, uh, And then on the, on the back, uh, there was, uh, and, and now that I'm 62, it's racy stuff again. So you come full circle. <laughs> that's all I can say. Um, on the back, uh, the, the unique thing about the back is uh, they put a Braille message at the bottom. Saying we love you, baby, uh, intended for Stevie Wonder, um, and uh, and then again, you, you touched on this, Max. Uh, it is McCartney's, nor the band's name appears on the cover. Uh, so in North America, uh, th- they put a blue hype sticker on there uh, that said, you know, Paul McCartney and Wings. 
And then the other Beatles connection, sort of, uh, on the bottom of the back cover of the original album, which which I still have, uh, you can send a self-addressed stamped envelope to this address, and you can join the Wings fan club. So George Harrison, right. uh, as the as the Brits would put it, uh, the expression uh, takes he takes the piss out of Paul by on his album "Living in the Material World." He puts in the back, send a self self self-addressed stamped envelope to join the Jim Kelly. Keltner fan club and Jim Keltner being the famous <laughs> session drummer so he was having some fun there um, and the epilogue to this that we should talk about so this album comes out in May of 1973 the band tours the UK a couple of times in May and then again in July and then from August to September a new version of Wings ends up working on Band on the Run in Lagos in Nigeria and then in London that album comes out in December of 73 and then in 74 it absolutely explodes for Paul McCartney band on the run once again for the second time in his life puts him playing in the biggest band in the world at the time so this was really the end of a wings era and just you know little did we know a few months later band on the run was going to hit and that was going to explode yeah, and I mean, what Linda said about it being an album, Red Rose Speedway, that is, that it's an album that lacks confidence. Uh, yeah, when you compare it to Band on the Run, you can hear that most definitely. But I also think that's part of the magic and part of the charm of Red Rose Speedway is it's not necessarily a perfect album, but it's such a fun album to spend an hour with or 50 minutes or however long it is. Uh, it's it's a really beautiful album to my ears. Uh, Denny Sywell leaves the band before Band and the Run. Still friends with McCartney to this day. Still with us. Uh, Henry McCulloch, uh, he leaves. I've got a quick little story to tell about him. He leaves due to musical and business differences. And there are various accounts of, of why he left. One of the musical differences was, uh, you know, McCartney wanted him to replicate the same solo uh, for songs every time in concert, which, you know, I can, I can understand in some some ways he didn't want to do that so they, they weren't seeing eye to eye he also wasn't happy about being sort of a side man he wanted to be part of the group uh henry unfortunately died in 2016 at the age of 72 as a result of heart complications but there's a great story uh because it was generally perceived that he left and there was a lot of ill will and uh, they weren't really on speaking terms mccullough told a great story in a 1997 interview in mojo magazine where he said i'm quoting here paul called me up one day out of the blue and he said hey why don't you come down to my studio in soho square it was just something casual so i went down and i spent some time with him he presented me a great big check as well as and this was interesting a road case full of guitar strings and he said i just wanted you to know that I really appreciated all the work that you did with Wings and what a great player I think you are. So that's kind of that's a, nice, beautiful. It's a nice ending to the story. That's beautiful. And I don't think I knew uh, that, that story. That really is absolutely beautiful. And he did. He contributed some great guitar work. So final thoughts uh, you, you, as we uh, wrap up our conversation of uh, almost two hours on a, a great, great album. Uh, <laughs> thoughts on our conversation and, and uh, you're just sort of a uh, what 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 do you want people to take away from Red Rose Speedway? 
Well, I think it's an album that, as I said many times, I think it's an album of magic. And I think, um, you know, I remember uh, hearing this guy, TJ Shanoff, who does a podcast with uh, Tony Mendoza called Untitled Beatles Podcast. And he called it the most McCartney of McCartney albums. And I get what he's saying, you know, because it... It incorporates all of those elements that we love of McCartney. Perhaps it's lacking in the rock. Perhaps it's lacking in the lyrics. But it's McCartney all the way. And even though it's a Wings album and they all contribute wonderful things to the album, there's no doubt about it. It's a McCartney album. And when you're a McCartney fan, it's one of those comfort albums that you'll just gravitate towards it certainly is for me it's it's one of those albums where if i'm having a difficult day or i'm going through something stressful i'll put on red rose speedway and all of a sudden all is well with the world it feels like a children's album in that sense and that's not a knock on it by any means uh it's it's just there's an innocence and a purity to it that I really, really absolutely love. And sure, Band on the Run on countless levels is superior and it's more focused and it's more ambitious and whatnot. But there's a simplicity and an honesty to Red Rose Speedway, which I just absolutely adore. And it'll always be, I think it'll always be my favorite 70s McCartney album. I don't know that it's my favorite album of his entire career. Um, and even though I really adore Ram, there's just something about Red Rose Speedway. And I was thrilled that uh, you asked me to come talk about this album. I had suggested a couple of other albums of his that I could talk about as well. But Red Rose Speedway has such a special personal place in my heart that uh, it, it, to me, it, it was an honor being here and talking about it. You know, it's really. Max, thank you so much. It's been uh, a complete pleasure. I've enjoyed uh, talking McCartney with you and, uh, and getting to know some of your work. Thank you very much. Am I allowed to ask you to please consider having me back to talk about <laughs> any other <laughs> Beatles or Beatles solo album. I had so much fun with you, Paul. Yeah. I mean, seriously, if ever you want to talk about Pipes of Peace or McCartney 3 or whatever, you just drop me a line and I'll come running, I'm telling you. You're, you're my go-to. Go-to for Pipes of Peace. <laughs> <laughs> and we can, we can tell the Michael Jackson story, but that's a story for another day. A whole other story. Uh, uh, Max, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Paul. Well, that was a very, very enjoyable conversation. And uh, just a reminder that you can find all of Max's music on his Bandcamp page. Just go to bandcamp.com and do a search for Max Como, and all his work is there. Uh, some great background on many of the albums and tracks, and you also, of course, have the opportunity to purchase some of his work. You can also find Max on Facebook and on Instagram. Uh, if you have enjoyed this episode, the last couple of Max Como episodes, or any of the episodes for that matter, uh, please consider making a donation to support the ongoing production of this podcast and keeping it commercial free in the process. Any amount helps. If you can afford it, I would really, really appreciate it. You just go to the website and click on the support the walrus button. I must say that donations have definitely dried up in the last while. Uh, uh, so, hey, 
you could be the one to turn the tap back on. Uh, please, if you can afford it, I would appreciate the financial donation. By the way, if you are a big Solo McCartney fan, uh, then some other McCartney-themed episodes you might want to check out on the Walrus Was Paul podcast is go to the archive. So that's wherever it is that you get your podcast, or you can go to the webpage, romicast.com. Scroll back to Series 1, Episode 7, and Julian Taylor was my guest, and he did a great episode talking about Band on the Run. And then also in Series 1, Episode 11, The Golden Seals, uh, a.k.a. Dave Merritt, uh, singer, songwriter, very talented guy. Uh, He did a a really fun episode talking about Paul McCartney's 1971 Ram album. So those are a couple of other McCartney episodes that are in the Walrus Was Paul archive. The next time on the Walrus Was Paul, I have a special episode for you, and I'll be throwing in a few more of these. So... We're not going to do the the normal thing and go through an album track by track. I'm going to have a guest on to talk about something specific to the Beatles. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about you know their favorite tracks, some of them, but it, it's going to be more of, of a theme. So in the next episode, I'm going to speak with one of Canada's premier marketing experts. You might know him from his extremely successful and entertaining podcast called Under the Influence. Terry is a marketing expert, and I'm going to talk to him about the marketing of the Beatles, some of the mistakes that were made, some of the innovations that they came up with, really interesting insights, and that'll be coming up on a special episode of The Walrus Was Paul, so look for that. You can follow the podcast on all of the usual socials on Twitter or X, uh, Instagram. You can find me at the handle Romanuk Paul. On Facebook, do a search for the Walrus Was Paul podcast page. Uh, And if you find it, give me a like or a follow. Would be appreciated. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can send me an email. The.romicast at gmail.com is the address. That is the period romicast at gmail.com. Positive reviews and shares on your social channels. Also a big help anytime. That is it for now. Thanks, as always, for your company. I'm Paul Romanuk, and I'll talk to you later. Do you ever get tired of being Beatles? <laughs>